0: The cliché has always been that Africa is a potential that has lived below its expectations. It's a story told of how a continent, abundantly flown with the proverbial milk and honey, still wanders in hunger. Yet the African story is not all about gloom. Africa is also a story of brilliance, inspiration, global breakthroughs, innovation and invention of living hallmarks of a story that is rarely told. A story of an Africa that is changing, an Africa that has changed. Hello, my name is Isaac Koyue Nu Abwa, entrepreneur, thinker, and writer. And here, on the Change Africa podcast, I bring these stories to life. You're going to have up close and personal conversations with the change makers leading Africa's transformation. Michael Lawal, thank you very much for coming to the Change Africa podcast. Michael Lawal is the CEO of Send It, which is a payments and remittance company, and we are happy to talk to him about how he's solving some of the biggest African challenges. Michael, again, thank you very much for coming to the Change Africa podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Great.
0: So you are working on a company that is, I believe, solving one of the biggest problems when it comes to um, the financial ecosystem in Africa. Even though there are lots of companies that are working on remittance and payments, there's still a lot of gaps for people to easily send money to um, to their mothers, their friends, their parents, across borders. So... Tell us about what you're doing at Sendit and how different it is um, um, to other solutions in the market, specifically to the problem of solving remittance payments across
1: borders. Absolutely, thanks. Thanks, Isaac, for, uh, for having me on the show. And just to kind of put it out there, I, um, I know that it, we, a lot of people automatically um, put, sending their money as a remittance company. We, we're not a remittance company. Remittance is part of, this, uh, of the value-added service we're looking, we're providing uh, for the diasporas and people within the emerging market, Africa. Uh, to us, we are we, we a social impact business. We're focusing to, to, on one key aspect and that is the financial exclusion. So we, we have a lot of African um, entrepreneurs who are very swift in adopting the Western model when it comes to business model in Africa but you only have a few of them who literally try to model their business to the real problem facing that continent. So let's look at those out been successful. Flutterwave, Pasta. These guys, they're so ingenious that they customize their solution to the market, to the problem in the market, not trying to be a PayPal or trying to be um, any other Western business and more, try to model than Africa. 80% of time, that fail. There's a lot of white-label solution in the world today to do remittance. So remittance to us is not a problem that is not solved. It's a problem that is solved, but there is a there is a gap for innovation. But now, nah, in terms of financial exclusion, that is a problem that is not solved. That is a huge problem. Thanks for the likes of um, of, 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 um, um M-Pesa in Kenya. thanks for the uh, MPSA introducing the use of unstructured um, of, of, of voice technology, USSD, which now makes it easy for banks to enable people in rural villages to use a cheap and paid phone to make payment and to receive payment. When you look into that Empesa was able to, mobile money was able to connect a lot of people who were financially excluded into the payment ecosystem. And that's how we, 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 we love to tell our story. Our story is not just to be another remittance company that enable the diaspora to send money back up. No. Our story is to give one-stop sh- payment, end-to-end payment for diasporas living abroad, for diaspora, for, for, for international students, for, for for traders in Africa, sending money out of Africa. That's where the real problem is today. In Nigeria, for example, people can't send more than $20, uh, two hundred dollars pardon me, out of Nigeria today. And that explains the reason why a lot of businesses in Africa resulted in the use of Bitcoin, right? Because people are looking for alternative to ease their pain, people there, Africa today is still a high consumer uh, centric continent. Production, we begin to manufacture things in Africa, but we're not there yet. We still rely heavily on importation of goods and services from Western country. And most of the people, most of traders that import from abroad, they face the problem of the US dollar's friction. That friction is what we're coming to take out there, where you can travel and send money from Ghana, from Nigeria, out of Africa, into the US, into Europe, into China, without any any pain, without any need for you to go to your bank and queue for 10 days or wait for SEPA or CHAPS payment to be made, losing a lot of money in the process while you're doing multi-currency exchange in that process. in as people say, oh, so the Money is a revenue to this company, we like to position ourselves as a hand-to-hand payment company serving the emerging economy. After. Yeah,
0: um, that's very inspiring. And thank you for reshaping the ideology I have because, yeah, it looks um, on face value I like that. But obviously, every company is more than that. And the people who can tell the stories of the company best are the founders. So I guess that begs the question is, where does this come from i know that you have previously worked in um fintech startups where where did you notice that this is actually a big problem that needs to be solved that other people are not tackling it and where did you get that motivation to um to do it and especially also the connection back to africa because i know you have stayed in the uk for a very long time where did you make that connection
1: uh in in case my mom um, is listening to this please make sure she doesn't Um, The the inspiration to be sending the money, it's been there for long. It's just that the the urgency to do it uh, came in 2018. Um, My mother is an African trader. She buys goods and services um, in terms of uh, clothes and resell back in Nigeria and Lagos uh, from um, the the secondhand goods that people buy and bring into Africa and resell in terms of circular economy. My mother was one of those people. And I used to watch my mother go to banks and queue for five hours and borrow the change money, get lost, uh, the person doesn't get the US dollars. And as a teenager, I used to watch my mom scream on the phone I was thinking, what is she screaming for? But I never saw that that is a huge problem and that's a real pain until 2018. In 2018, I took a career break and I was exploring different countries in Africa. On a glorious day, I was traveling from Ghana into Kenya. Now, I have to exchange my uh, my uh, GBP into Ghanaian cities, into USD, and then USD into Ghanaian cities. Now, when I was traveling out of Ghana into, into Nairobi, I have to exchange uh, my Ghanaian cities into USD. There's some Ghanaian cities I still have in my wallet today, as we speak, right? Now, when I got to Kenya, I have to exchange USD again into Kenyan shillings. And when I was living in Kenya, it's the same problem. Now, I was trying to send 200 pounds out of Kenya. I went to Equity Bank in Nairobi. And the guy was looking at me like, the solution is not there because I was not a, a Kenyan resident. Now, the Uber driver, who now turned out to be a friend, took me to this chaos, this border change chaos, where I said, so so don't worry, just give them the money. The money will get into the UK. And I give them the money. I a bit nervous, if I'm pretty honest. But to my surprise, the money gets into the UK within 45 minutes. Without bank, without any system, without any any infrastructure, just based on trust, right? And that was the wow moment for me as an entrepreneur. It's like, okay, there is a lot of solution when people are sending money from developed nation into Africa. Why is no one building solution to send money within Africa and outside of Africa? Why? Why is no one trying to solve that problem? It was that wow moment for me. And immediately I can connect with the frustration of my mother growing up watching her face the challenge of multi-currency conversion when she's buying her goods and services and that was the moment i thought okay i need to look further into this problem and today the rest is history we, we, we now not have sending the money solving that for problem out of the personal frustration life is in 2018 while traveling various Africa.
0: yeah <laughs> that makes a lot of sense i i think that what happens when we are tackling problems is that empathizing with it from someone's perspective is usually difficult i mean that is what design thinking teaches you empathize with people's problems but most of the time you're not seeing it from their particular shoes because definitely wearing people's shoes are difficult but then when it happens to you suddenly everything becomes clear (laughs) suddenly everything becomes clear and i guess that is what happened in your in your um in your case so what was the next step then i mean tell us the story of an entrepreneur if you are building a business, you have come close contact with the pain that motivates you to start solving that problem. What then do you do, especially in your case?
1: I, I, I think to me, I've, I've had a lot of people ask me that question. As an entrepreneur, what would you say it's a divination of entrepreneur? There's no perfect divination for entrepreneurship. I think to me, entrepreneurs are problem solvers, entrepreneurs are people will have a calling to make things better, okay? So when you look at entrepreneurs, they have, they have similar way of thinking. They don't fit into the box. Um, they don't fit into the status quo. They, you, these are people you can naturally classify as rebels, okay? They want things to be better. They want things to, 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 to work faster. They just want to improve the process. They just want to improve the status quo. They just want to change things. And when you look at this, it's just that zeal, that persistence, that, that urge to wanna to make things better. And that's the way I see my entrepreneurship journey is a calling. It's, I grew up in Nigeria where there is enormous problem, right? And I've traveled, I've been privileged to travel over 12 countries within Africa. And the problem facing every country in Africa, it's not, it's not different then this comes to the question. We have 1% in Africa investing enormously in property, right? They're not investing in innovation. They're not investing in entrepreneurs. When you look at the Western nations, the Western nations build policies, they build environments, they build the different structures that breeds and supports and makes entrepreneurship thrive. So the question to us is why do these Western nations, why do they do that? Because they knew that for any nation to to thrive and develop, they need to unnest the power of the entrepreneurs. So who are those entrepreneurs? They are the people that will always chart a new path for humanity. They will always strive to make things better. They will bring solutions where there is problem. They will think outside the box when people think things can be done. They are the people who push the limit. Look at people like Elon Musk. Look at people like Jeff Bezos. Look at people like um, um, the, um, 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 I, one of my favorite entrepreneurs, I just forgot his name now, uh, the, uh, the Alibaba, right? When you look at these people, these are people who define the odds. These are people who, from you can see from their childhood, they, they're not ready to conform. So entrepreneurship is, is, is to me a way of you constantly looking at things from a different lenses and asking the question, why? And what can be done to make it better? And that to me is entrepreneurship. So when you look at my frustration in 2018 in Kenya, I didn't just thought, OK, I have solved the problem. That's it. I thought, OK, how many people are facing this problem in Africa today? What are the alternatives they're using today? What does the pain feels like today? Do they feel the same frustration and pain that I faced, that my mother faced in those years? If the answer to that is yes, is it because the market is not big enough? Why is no one building something to solve this problem? Right? So those, those, that's the way the enterpre- entrepreneurs think. They're constantly looking for ways to make things better. And that's to me, it's like, if I can take this pain away for 1 million people, 10 million people, a billion people across the world, that to me is success. I'm unfulfilled I'm as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, I like the framing of entrepreneurship as people who are called to solve problems i think that's very profound right (laughs) i think that's very profound but you also tie that into being a rebel so i guess my next question is that what is your rebel story what in you as a child did you identify as something of a renegade outside of society's framework of saying conformity what is your rebel story
1: well, I, I'm someone who always stop people never to confirm. So, <laughs> because remember I mean, it's my own rebel story. I was, yeah, a long time ago. That's that yeah, time ago. you would
0: like to hear that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I'm one of those. Uh, I'm one of those kids who will uh, who would who would take um uh, who would take this. You know, those stereos our dads used to have in Africa in those days. Who would take those stereos and break them all apart? Because I just want to know what makes that stereo make noise. What make what makes it transmit right? That inclusive nation does mean a lot of trouble. You know, African parents, you know, it's not like in Europe where you can beat children. You know, there's a bit of a corporal punishment in, in Africa. <laughs> and then it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's quite funny looking back now. No one ever asked me that question in times. What's my brother's story? It's been from childhood. It's just that hard that to want to know why has always been in me. I'm, I'm one of those curiously minded child. And I'm very grateful to my parents. I grew up in an environment where um, following your passion and dream is is allowed. Um, And I'm very grateful to my parents for that. Um, I watched my father. My father started his own business and built his own business and employed a lot of people. And I saw how he he, he solves problems. And I watched my mother as well. My mother, she was one of the famous hairdressers in Lagos. And I watched my mother um, and, and, and then from being a hairdresser, she started the buying and selling of secondhand goods and resell um, across Lagos in Nigeria. And watching those zeal and those grits of my parents, and it, it kind of inspires me. Um, and it, it's, it's just the willingness not to conform, just to want to do things differently. Because I realized at the age of 11 that I'm, I'm different um, I just realized my brain is not wired the way every other kids are wired. Uh, it was really tough growing up, um, uh, trying to think differently, trying to have your whole mind in an African environment where individuality is frowned upon. Uh, but I was very lucky in an environment that I grew up where that was a little bit celebrated. And I think I hold that a lot to those communities, my parents and the Anglican church uh, in those days uh, that we we're part of in times of enabling us to be ourselves and, and read. And I think one, one very good moment for me in my life that changes everything was when I came into philosophy. You know, I was in the library, 11 year old child was in the library, and I was looking through a philosophical book. I just want to know why things happen and the reason why things aren't the way they are. And by just chance, I, I've come across a book written by Thomas Spain, uh, who said, Man men were born free, but yet walk all the, all the life in chain. And this is a book that an 11-year-old would not naturally read. And I digest the book within within 20 days, back to back. And that was the turning point in my life in times of social contract and things like that. And that, I could see myself in that book. Like, okay, social, social contract, okay, government holds the citizen, ABC, and the citizen holds government, ABC. And there was a lot of conversation between three philosophers uh, in times of People should be controlled. People should not be controlled. People should have their freedom. What is freedom? Too much freedom can be a problem. And that makes me see society in a different life from just three philosophers. And I have grew up reading so many of our philosophies from psychoanalytic theory, Simon Freud and Carl Jung, in terms of human psychosexual theories. And all these philosophies, when you look at it, it makes you step back and look at society in a different way as a rebel. Because you realize that everything around us is construct. And those things are ideologically driven. And those ideology are rooted in philosophy. You look at money, <laughs> money is a philosophy rooted in ideology. And that's why the whole world is so afraid to talk about money. A lot of families, they're so afraid to talk about money. And yet money controls the entire world. So the rebellion started from a very young age. And I'm very grateful that I grew up in an environment where those Uh, that rebel in me was not killed but was very encouraged.
0: You know this is a very fascinating thought right because I have a theory that non-technical founders are people who live at the nexus of philosophy and and psychology because product building is a lot of understanding of human nature which is a lot more psychology But then. The philosophy comes in the ability to be able to just break down problems at at a at a at a macro level into small levels, starting from first principles. And I've always had that. And so I think that this is some way of validation of that kind of theory that I formed around, especially non-technical founders who are not um, in tech companies who are not necessarily building the product themselves, but indeed in that way, I think that is the. Uh, They are defining value proposition, and I like that. Also, I like that you are talking about Thomas Paine because myself, um, when I was 16, I read Common Sense, one of the defining moments in my life when I read um, um, Common Sense. So I'm familiar with the works of Thomas Singh, um, Rise of Man, Age of Reason, all interesting works, right? So I I think it's very crucial, as you were saying, um, I can relate to the rebelness of um, the kid in Africa who lives Absolutely. inside his mind, <laughs> who's challenging everything, who becomes nuisance to his teachers. And then my, that goes to my next, <laughs> <that, that, laughs> uh, you know, um, you're asking too much questions, Your child is not supposed to ask too many questions, all of that. And this is a, something that I talk to with with, with the bedroom, um, um, um young people that we have now. How do we make sure that we nurture curiosity? Because I think that for children, one of the biggest thing that you can do for a child is to be able to nurture their curiosity. But then I find that our educational system, unfortunately, tends to do the opposite. That has killed the curiosity in people. So you see that people growing is directly um, proportional to them losing their um, inspiration and curiosity to find and do things that, um, as a child, they were just brilliantly um, um, and um, 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 wide-eyed attracted to. What, What do you have to say about that?
1: You see, when when you look at the template, the playbook we have in Africa today, in terms of our educational system, in terms of our monetary system, every system we have in Africa today, it's not developed by Africans. Every system we have in Africa today is developed by the colonial masters for Africa. Then you ask yourself that question. Why do they give us a system? They give us that system so that they can control the entire Africa by, by proxy. So, when you look into the history, because a lot of Africans don't know their history, when you look at the richest money that ever lived in Africa, mm-hmm. the Mansa Musa yeah. of Mali Empire, the Ottoman Empire, no one has ever had a wealth that he controlled across the world as a today as we speak, right? In those days, if you go to Mali today, it's still there. They built mansions, palaces. They, these are astronomers. These are, these, these are people who, without any technology, Modern day technology, they are next the power of the sun and the cosmos. Okay, when you go all the way to Egypt, right? When you look at the the the, the pyramid, the Egyptian pyramid that we have here today, if you ever had an opportunity to, to 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 enter into the pyramid, you will see how they generate energy, the vibration energy, tapping into the into 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 the power of the sun, tapping into the into the things that you can I can see, the basic human fundamental principles of science. Right? Those are what I call the true Africans. That was before slavery. Africans were curious people. They, it was the modern of civilization. Writing, painting started in, in Egypt. OK? So when you look at that, something changed in our story. Then the, a slave master came, invaded Africa. The transatlantic slave trade happened. And what happened? a history of what we used to be before slavery was wiped out. And they, we were given a new identity, and it was that identity that brought Christianity. It is that Christianity that brought modern-day education. So when you look at that, with that education, it's what makes Africa subjective today. My ancestors before slavery were not subjective people. They're curious-minded individuals. We'll build things, we'll build temples, we'll build palaces, we'll harness the power of science. And these are people will, be, who will, who will develop various, various elements using metal. Okay? So it's been in us. So going back into your question, into why we have that system, we have that system because we forget we, what we used to be our identity. Our forefathers, our ancestors, these are curiously minded people. They were hunters, okay? But then we have a new system that I raised our history. And then we, we, we accepted a new divination of yes and no, okay? So I've been in, I've been in England now for, for, quite, for quite a while. And I can tell you, if a child is born in this country today, by the time that a child gets to the age of two, the first language that child will say is why. after saying dad and mom. (laughs) The next thing that child will say is why. Okay? And here, parents will try to explain that why to that child. Okay? Now, let's go back to Africa. If a child is born in Nigeria or Ghana today, the first, after saying dad and mom, the first two statements or words that child will will pronounce, I think you can guess already, it's going to be yes or no. Do you want bread? Yes. Do you want milk? Yes. Okay. Now look at those two, two child. Now look, you can predict what the future will look like. Okay. The child that is, is grew up in an environment where it's either yes or no, and the child that grew up in an environment where everything has been challenged. They're two different things. That philosophy, that mindset, it's very, it's, it's very powerful. It's not even the educational system. So when you look at we in Africa. Many Africans across the world will spend millions of Nairas, millions of Ghanaian cities to go abroad and study in the most prestigious university. Why? Because we celebrate paper more than human genuity. It is that system of yes and no, ticking boxes. So that will change and it's changing because now we now have some restless, agile African youth that are rising up. These people, they don't go, they didn't go to structured educational system, but they have one thing. They finally find power in code, in Java, in C in, in React Native, okay? And you can see that revolution is happening in Kenya, in Ghana, in Nigeria. People who never goes to school, self taught themselves on how to write code, and now they're building great applications. Those are the people that will champion the new Africa of tomorrow.
0: So, very interesting perspective on the trajectory of African, um, I guess, thinking and framework of the world post, pre- and post-colonialism and slavery. I have been thinking about... Um and, and that's why I like this podcast. It's very winding conversations. We particularly didn't want they didn't, didn't plan to talk about this, but it's very immersive in that way. I've been thinking about the kind of colonial programming that um that preeminated the the slavery movement and colonialism because it seems to me very, very clear now more than ever that there was a very deliberate attempt to come into a place to loot humans and resources and go somewhere else to build a nation from that resources and make also a continued effort to um, subjugate the other. And I think that And I'm asking you this: Do you think there was a deliberate colonial programming? Uh, Because it 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 seems remiss to me how that could have happened by chance, right? So, do you think there's a deliberate colonial program? And if there was a deliberate colonial program, how are we as Africans also designing an anti-colonial or anti-even now post-colonial, neo-colonial mindset and framework? That is going to effectively change the mindset of the growing generation so that we do not live in the incumbent systems of education that was created for us, incumbent system of religious thought that was created for us, and we break out into ourselves and into the future that we are destined to be.
1: I Thanks, Iksi, so for that question. You've already answered that question, if I'm pretty honest. Um, You ask yourself that question, why is it that black people don't support each other? Whereas the Africans, we don't see the abundance of wealth in Africa. Why is it that a black man will, white folks after they they come to Africa, they'll be successful in Africa. Chinese will come to Africa, they'll be successful in Africa. A black man or a diaspora black man will come to Africa, it won't be successful. That is changing. Ask yourself that question, why? Okay, so that answers your question because mind programming is real. And I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, okay? Because it's easy for people to attack you and say, oh, that's another uh, conspiracy theorist shit, right? But it's real. The effects of colonialism on African soil is still real. 90% of leaders leading us in Africa today they're still child of trauma. They're one way or the other descendants of, of slaves. And the way of life they used to is force, brute force. And when you look at the way they, they lead, they're still using the colonial master system. And you ask them, why would you do that to your own citizen? <laughs> Some of them don't even know they even been controlled by proxy. So the colonial programming is real, you know? And we've had a lot of professors, even here in, in Cambridge, in the UK, talking about decolonizing Africa. Now, for Africa to move forward, Africa needs to be decolonized. So if someone is, if, if some academics are saying for Africa to move forward, Africa needs to be decolonized, then that means colonization is a system. A well-taught through, well-designed system. Today the whole world knows that cigarettes is not mm-hmm. good for them, right? But people don't stop smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Right? So that tells you that mind mind programming is real. You can program someone to hate someone, and you can program someone to like someone. That's the job of media, period.
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk about more <laughs> more um i guess easy going stuff so tell <laughs> tell me about your journey moving outside of africa what was what was the catalyst for that and 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 and, and how how has that changed your perspective generally also uh, I-
1: it's it's it it's been quite a lot of um, um, amazing journey. Um, I've I've been fortunate to to live in quite a different part of the world, um, including Indonesia, including various countries in Africa, Sweden, and and, and Denmark uh, for, for for briefly. And I I, I call uh, UK home now, and I'm very grateful uh, to the country and to, to 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 the people. But one thing still remain is leaving the African soil is because you know that the environment is not there to support you. And that's that's quite painful. And when you look at Africans all across the world today that have left African soil, they're doing amazingly well. What's the difference? The difference is there is opportunity. And for those who are ready to take those opportunities, it's therefore they're taking. For African soil, Thanks to the likes of Rwanda that given us a new, a new, a new narration. Right? When you lick the African soil, you have, it's really hard for you son of no man to become somebody. Everything is highly political. There is nepotism. You have to know someone to get something. So when you have a system like that, it's really hard to break even when you don't belong to, to the to the, to the, cabal, to the to the people, the Pahdabbi. But in the Western world, don't get me wrong, they have their, it's, everything is not nice and rosy, but if you're determined and you're, you, 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 you're resilient enough, you can build something and make something for yourself. So you can see the difference between those two systems. And looking back, that's the reason why some of us will not rest until we see the African of our dream. Because I don't want my generations coming after me to leave Africa before they can achieve their dream. And that's my story.
0: Okay. So let's talk back, um, let's come back to entrepreneurship. Um, I mean, you have led senior positions at some startups in the past. In your personal journey, what do you think is the most challenging thing that still faces entrepreneurs now, especially from your perspective?
1: The most challenging? Tra- um, I can't get a question. So I
0: was saying that you have led senior positions at startups. Now you are building your own startup. Is there something that you realize that is the most challenging, especially from where you are sitting as an, as an entrepreneur?
1: Life itself is, is a challenge. <laughs> life itself is a challenge and it's you know, a challenge that actually makes life more interesting. So um, to, to me, as, as an entrepreneur, it's about rising to the challenge. Um, and it's, like I said, when you look at people within, um, within the startup ecosystem, these are individuals that, are like, and I've, I've made mention of that in my previous definition of, of, interp- of one entrepreneur, who is an entrepreneur. When you look into that, it's just being in that community of people who are, wants to make a change. So what I call my own tribe. Okay. So when I read in the news that pay stock was acquired by his tribe, I was happy. I celebrate that. When I heard that um, Flotter will become a billion dollar company, I was happy I celebrated them. Why? Because that's those are my tribe. I don't need to know them one on one or personally. But to me, that's a validation that entrepreneurship pays in the long run. It's not easy. If it's easy, everyone will be doing it. So we need to be very, very honest as well and face and, and reality check. It's not for everyone, but it always pays in the hand. So my greatest challenge as an entrepreneur, is not been able to to build as many solutions as I want to see in the world, if that makes sense. Because you can't you, you can't be jacks of all trades. You got to focus on one thing and do it well. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um so also as a like a non-technical founder, what was that for you? Is is your experience particularly different for um people who are who are say technical founders? Does that affect fundraising? Does that affect Product that development in, a, in any particular way?
1: I think to me, what I will say for any aspiring entrepreneur is, go out there and make and make mistakes, find a young startup, join a young startup. And one good thing about startup is there's no job description. Yeah. <laughs> so a you you literally yeah. jacks of all trades. And that gives you the opportunity to understand how your developers think in that company, that startup that you join, That gives you the opportunity to see how, uh, how uh, different um, consumer personas have been designed, how those wireframes have been put together. It gives you an opportunity to, to learn and immerse yourself in the, what I call the hard of bringing an idea, of turning an idea into a, into a revenue generating um, vehicle. And once you gain, gain those ideas, then you will make less mistake when you want to go and do it yourself and bring it team together. If you never work in a team, you will, it will be hard for you to manage a team. If you never build, be part of people that build the business, it will be hard for you to build your own business. Because let's face it, whether you're a technical f- founder or your business co founder or your commercial person, wherever you are in the, in the ecosystem, it all comes down to one thing it all comes down to people ability to understand people, ability to connect to people, and ability to, under, to, 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 to to sell to people. So everything is all about the people. whether you're your consumers, whether your stakeholders, your investors, whether you're your co-founders, your teammates, your employees, it still comes down to people. So it's about people's skills. So when you have that people skill, the idea will always change. When investors are investing in you from pre-seed to series A, a serious investor knows that they're investing in the team and how big the market opportunity is. And when they're investing in the team, they're investing in the credibility of the team to be able to execute and work together. It is when you get to series A, you have a scalable business. That's when you have business. Before you get to series A, from pre-seed to Series A, you have no business. You're still figuring things out. And any investor that invest at that stage, where, they are investing in the team, they're taking a bet on the team and the and how big the market is. So this makes you now comes to one thing. It's all about the people. If you want to be a successful entrepreneur, you have to understand people. You don't have to be, you don't have to be someone who, who pleases people all right? Because sometimes you go fire people, it's part of the journey, all right? But you need to understand the basic rudiment of connecting with people. And to me, my own superpower is empathy, right? I I rule, I, I lead as a servant. I don't see myself as, as someone who will tell people do ABC. I want to make sure that if you're working together with me, does this align with your purpose in life? Does it align with your goal in life? What do you really want to achieve in your life? When you bring same people together will have the same definition of purpose they can achieve it.
0: you know that reminds me of um someone I was trying to get to join our team this is a young guy who was down with college and we had we had a two-hour call very therapeutic call with this young man and it was supposed to be just be some sort of an interview but then ended up being an interview about his depression and the difficulty he was facing and his purpose and not being able to figure it out. But then at the end of the conversation, it came down to him realizing that, well, this is actually what I am interested in. I'm not interested in working as a startup now, but I want to do data science. And then taking the next steps to doing those things in data science, and almost a year now, I can see that he's doing a lot of things. So I think that... Empathy is the word, right? Trying to really, really have that listening skill. And today in my reflection, I I came to a conclusion of something that has been in my mind, but I've not been able to frame very nicely. That in a conversation, listening is more participation than talking. And that is something that we all should learn. In a conversation, listening is more important than talking. We need to be able to develop that skill of actively listening to people, even when they are not talking, right? And, and that tells us a lot about them. And I like that you are thinking of the framework of people literally connecting with their purpose. One of the books that I read that I was very um, impressed with, I think it has to be Jim Collins' books, and I think so. And and it was talking about the fact that if you are interviewing someone and then you had one question to ask them what question would it be and i think his answer was that if you had say five years to work to work on earth would you work in this company and that is a very definitive question right of telling you how much you value working in this space and if you don't as much as you have value bringing to the company you should probably go and work somewhere because life you don't have so much time in life and you want to put your um your resources your time and your effort in places that really mean something to you so i really appreciate that um that coming from you so h- how is send money doing i mean after you have uh, you launched how how has it been received from the consumer perspective and and what are some of the new things that consumers who are using the product or looking to use the product should expect from send money
1: uh from from sending the money uh yeah from sending the money we We've done the initial early MVP test and we received a lot of feedback from there, and a lot of positive feedback overnight, some like 95% positive feedback, which is great. Uh, we just, we finalize uh, we, we finalizing our pre investment. So though we've completed um, the, the actual public um, crowdfunding, there's still a lot of legals that goes on before the money hits our bank account. Um, so there's uh, still a lot of things going on in the background. Uh, we, once all that is all done, Then that's when we'll move into times of um, actually executing the roadmap. Uh, Our our consumers can look forward to um, um, using sending their money uh, in Nigeria, Ghana, and Kenya uh, in the next um, um, three to six months. And they will. We will. I myself, I'm going to be on ground in Ghana in in Africa uh, from end of May to first week in June, and I look forward to meeting as many partners and customers. African entrepreneurs as much as possible Uh, because to me it's not competition it's about collaboration and co-creation so um, we're looking once once we launch if if you've not subscribed to a LinkedIn follow us on LinkedIn follow us on Twitter uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn let's connect Um, um, we uh, we have a lot of exciting stuff planned for our roadmap and we look forward to a lot of you joining us on on this call and for for in in case this podcast might into the ears of the power brokers in Africa, the time to believe in African entrepreneurs and to create an enabling environment for entrepreneurship in Africa is now.
0: Yeah, I, I, I believe in that. I just want to chime in on collaboration because one of my favorite companies in the world is um, Stripe, by, and, and I, I love the Collison Brothers so much for what they stand for strive strategy and mission statement is to increase the gdp of the internet and what we find i mean what i find when i study great campaigns is that they're all about building the systems that other people can build on right they are less about the competition counterintuitively that is what investors want to see in your slide: how you're going to beat the competition <laughs> however it's less about focusing on too much competition by looking at ways that you can and I asked, and in strives would increase the GDP of the internet. That is their mission statement, right? When companies like Uber started, the market cap that was given to them was lower than they now because we're looking at just um, taxi caps as their competitors. But now there's a whole fleet of um, um, micro-mobility services and, and urban um. um, um, um Mobility services that have come up because of that single innovation. I think that is very crucial. That entrepreneurs need to focus on the ability of their very what seems like a niche market to grow if they if they focus on it and, and, and execute well. It has the potential to to grow up um, to become something great. Um, because you have done a seed round, a lot of I personally know a lot of people who are struggling to do a seed round, and you use. Um, this fundraising platform. Can you take us through the process of raising that seed? And if you can share with people some of the nuggets that can help them if they wanted to replicate that in the future.
1: Absolutely. Um. To 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 we've we've complete we we are in process of completing our pre seed. Uh, We've not launched our seed round yet. We'll we'll be raising between one to three million, uh, um pounds for our seed round. So that's going to be launched in the next twelve months. Um. So our pre seed will. Uh, the way it works is very simple. Fund, uh, I've, I've, I've raised funds from angels, from VC. So I'm not new to fundraising. I've raised up the power of a company that raised that $2 million during ICU in 2017, uh, the company called Pondiex. Um, so I'm not new to fundraising in times of, uh, but to me, one key lesson I can give to any entrepreneurs who's looking to raise funds, it's fundraising, it's about credibility, more than anything. The investor is looking at, can this team, can this entrepreneur, can this founder actually execute on what he's telling me he's going to do? So when you're talking to an investor, you are as a founder, you are a chief the risk officer. Uh-huh. You're not a chief executive officer, you're a chief the risk officer. Your job every day is to look at every single way to risk that business. And when you go into an investor, you're telling the investor the market opportunity, but how you will execute on your roadmap and ways at which you're looking to do risks that business. Because the more you do risks that business, the more you do risks those investments they're going to give to you.
0: Hmm. Okay. So, yeah, um, that's that's very interesting. If If you can also chime in, about, um, talk to us about the beginning of your career. Um, I want us to talk about career advice now, because even, even, even from the less entrepreneurial perspective, what's influenced the career decisions that you took right from school? And if you were to go back, is that something that you would change? Is that something that you would, um, ask people to do differently?
1: Um, to me, um, uh, looking back into my entrepreneurship journey, uh, my own journey started at the age of eleven. Um, I, I finally figured out that you can buy a M and go suite in those days when we're young. Uh, I'm not sure you guys love it in Ghana, um, and you can sell a, a suite that you bought for two naira. You can send one, one. I think we have about fifty in one list, one single sachet, and I figured out that you can sell e- each of those little suites for 50, 50, n- cover. Um, And I can make a return from two Naira investment. I can make a return of 10 Naira and one, and one single Sasha. That's how my entrepreneurship journey started. I realized the power of multiplication. Okay. So I designed a little system called, if you're not multiplying, you are, you're not adding to it. You're either subtracting or you're dividing. That's my own rule. And that unconventional rule has served me really well. So to me, looking back, is fear is the opposite of fate. If you think you can't do it, then you can't do it. If you think you can do it, yes, you can do it. So it all comes down to your mindset. Speaking those words and acting with faith, getting out of your comfort zone, taking on us, taking those risks, taking, doing those things other people think is stupid to do is what will get you to where you need to get to in life. Whether you're building a business or whether you're working for a big business or whether you're an SME, for you to get to the other side of life, you have to conquer your fear. Because fear is an absence of faith. And when you say every entrepreneur that's achieved anything in life, they come to investors and say, I want to build a business that's going to do ABC. One thing I can tell you is the product will always change as the company grows. But what doesn't change is why the company exists. And that why is rooted in, their, in, in fate. Because that person knows that. I've done my market analysis. The problem is big enough. It's a billion-dollar uh, problem. And how I'm going to solve this problem, how I'm going to solve that problem, we'll figure out. Just let's go. Okay? Thomas Edison, 100 times, one whole one times there was electricity. That is faith and conviction in what you believe in because not everybody's gonna see it. Even people that are close to you will rubbish you on your idea. So if you don't believe in yourself and your idea and your convictions, don't even bother (laughs) because you will be the first to take a chance on yourself before other people will take a chance on you.
0: That's very inspirational um this is a this is quite a personal question but talking about fear do you personally have any fear and how do you overcome it
1: eight years ago i I make a conscious decision to 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 fight my fear and that's where i in a year i pick one one thing that i'm afraid of and i do the, the 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 opposite When I was a child, I used to have a phobia for water and a particular year I decided I'm going to, I travel, every travel, every business travel I did that year was around cities with water and I go on boat. (laughs) Right. I used to have phobia for, for, for heights. Right. I went on skydiving. So fear, it's a feeling. So it's fate. So to me, what I do is to say, what is it I'm afraid of? And I would do exactly that thing I'm afraid of.
0: Exactly. It's, it's, it's then, about... It's about crazy, but... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so, I mean, you have learned some psychology. We have different ways of facing fears and phobia. We have systematic desensitization. We have a direct approach and all of that. But eventually, it all comes down to having to face the fears. Right, it, it all comes down to having to feel fear the fears. Whether you take your time slowly to do it, whether you do it one at a time, it all comes down to having to, to um, um, face it because that's the only way you you overcome it. You have to face it. Uh, in in your experience, what do you think? What do you think that the failure to face your fear does to people? Well, the
1: the fa- the failure to, to conquer your fear you can you can see it it it, it gives you the o- opposite of 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 leaving and the opposite of living is 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 is, been, is is death and death is not when you when you're buried in uh, in a coffin uh, under the ground there's a lot of people passing through life they they're dead they're, they're dead to their dreams they're dead to their goals so to me if you don't take the bulls by the horns and leave your life out of fear then you will regret every single moment of your life and we can see that in the world the whole world is more depressed than ever before there is more pain in the world than ever before why because people are not living to the maximum capacity of their fate
0: you sound very um, very spiritual in your in your um, in your words um, is there a, a kind of like spirituality or framework that guides your thinking?
1: To me, I'm I'm not a religious person, uh, in as much as I'm, I will, I will, yeah, I will say spiritual, yes. Um, to me, I just believe that there is, there is, there's, there, 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 there power beyond every human, there are forces beyond every human, and the only way to harness those forces is through faith. Hmm.
0: Why are you still so bullish on Africa? I mean, the the statistics say, oh, Africa is going to be the next big thing and the next big thing and all of that. But a lot of people still are afraid of venturing into doing the things that they want to do, especially on the continent. Why 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 are you so bullish on Africa?
1: Um a friend of mine will say if I, if I if I was born here in a developed nation, i would probably be in one of the be uh, one of their top government um, <laughs> program. Because um, I'll probably say I've, I've been blessed with a brain that can see patterns and read patterns before things actually happen. Uh, that's probably one of my key thing I'm blessed with. I can see trends before trends happen. Before blockchain happened, we, we some of us start talking about alternative currency. It's come up my some of my friends we used to have before even blockchain, before cryptocurrency, they used to have what we call the alternative um, alternative dollars in those days, and now we have stable coins. And those things we say 13, say 13 years ago happened. We started saying 12 years ago, Africa is gonna be the next biggest market. That's even before there's flutter or before there is space And now they're beginning to happen. The question you need to ask, ask yourself or ourselves is this, what are those things? And people are so lazy. People don't read anymore. People don't do come at anymore. So when you look, uh, it's easy for everyone to travel to England today or uh, easy for everyone to, sorry, I need to jump on another call now. So I'm just going to run off now. It's easy for people to travel to developed nation today. But what people don't realize is those developed nation today, sometimes they go with underdeveloped nation as well. America is where Africa was now 50 years ago. Okay. So America was not just that rosy country that we all see today. They've had their own fair share of pain and agony and they've rise through those pains and agony. Okay, So when you look at that, what are those things that moves those things? Its human is the population? Now you look at how high that population is. Africa today in the next 20, 2050, Africa is estimated to be the fastest growing population, young population in the world. 75 percent of the total population in Africa today is between the age 16 to 25. When you look in Europe, Europe is having the highest decline population than any part of the world. So you don't even need to read a book or be an economist or one scientist to, to, to do that analysis. And that tells you the reason why they're investing so much in autonomous machines because they knew that their population is declining. So when you look into that, the highest mobile penetration in the world is Africa. So that tells you the next billion u- mobile users are going to come from Africa. The entire, the future of internet is mobile first. So you don't need to read the book for you to know that, that is the future. That's literally a common sense. If you can read the history, the antecedents, that you can see, and have a snippet into what future looks like. But the question is, will Africa take advantage and build the Africa of their dream, or will Africa allow people from outside to come into Africa and build Africa and make them walk under them again in Africa? That's the question. I want to leave you with one.
0: Thank you very much, Michael Lawal. Michael is the CEO and founder of send it. money michael is a social impact entrepreneur he doubles also as a philosopher and an africanist <laughs> thank you very much michael for joining me on the change africa podcast
1: it's been a pleasure okay Isaac. sure, sure. It. thank change you africa. very much thank you yeah thank you, Thanks, yeah. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
0: if you enjoy listening to this podcast Subscribe to this podcast to get notified about new episodes every week and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcast. Join us next week for more thoughtful conversations with Africa's most inspiring leaders.